jobs, wages, and what's next for the consumer. Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Glad to have you here. In the next hour, going to talk about a bunch of stuff. One, including grandparents blessing grandchildren. What can they do? There's many different things. Some are sensible. Mm, some are not. We're going to talk about that. Ask Annex is on the way. Toward the end of the show, details on a financial life hacks webinar. This would be for anybody you know. I'm going to recommend it to both of my sons who are in their early 30s. I think it's a good thing, a great thing, absolutely free. I'm Danny Clayton, Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist in the studio. Welcome. Great to be here. Brandon Lehman's here. He is Director of Annex Private Client. Welcome to the show. Danny. So, Brian, we were talking a little earlier, and I know you had the conversations before even you and I talked about this, but the jobs report came out. And there was a really unique thing ha- that happened with unemployment going up, but the markets reacted favorably. Explain this, please. Yeah, a lot of people might look at that and be like, why is it that Wall Street is cheering the unemployment rate increasing? You know, it uh, kind of comes across as being like a bunch of vultures or something like that, you know, preying on the uh, carcass of, uh, <laughs> of bad news. But the fact is, it actually went up for a good reason. The unemployment rate itself, to me, is not a very good indicator of just about anything, but it's something that gets a lot of media attention. And the reason why I don't think it's a very good indicator is it's the number of people who are unemployed relative to the labor force. Now, the labor force itself in order to count as unemployed, you actually have to be looking for a job. I tend to like looking at something like, oh, employment relative to the overall population. It's a much bigger measure of labor utilization. Uh, And what we actually saw was the unemployment rate going up because we had a surge of people entering the labor force. And that's a good thing. So just for to put some numbers on it, the labor force increased by 700,000. Uh, 597,000 of those were new entrants. And usually when you come into the labor force, when you start looking for a job, you don't have a job. And so you come in counting as unemployed, and then it takes time to become employed. So when the unemployment rate goes up because the labor force increased, that's actually a good sign, not a bad sign. So that's why you're seeing the markets react the way that they did when you have unemployment go up but it's a good thing. Yeah, and I think the another reason why the market reacted favorably is when we looked at the non-farm payrolls number, the number of jobs on net that were created, it was about 180, 190,000. And that's a good number, but it's not this outlandish or outrageous number like we've seen in the past. Uh, my estimation is that the run rate for non-farm payrolls would be about 100 to 125,000. And so that's the idea that, hey, if the labor market was in balance between supply and demand, you'd want to see about 100,000. And so we're getting to that point. We also had it where wages didn't grow by more than expected, 0.2% month on month. That was actually a fairly healthy rate, but not one that creates any sort of fear of a wage price spiral. Okay. There's other things that have occurred, and Danny kind of did a great job alluding to it. So you had two things that also came out. There's an impact with wages. There's an impact with consumer spending. What are we seeing there? And that probably leads into the next point that I have, though, of understanding manufacturing. Because as we talked, that's potentially could be in a recession in and of itself, at least that sector. It is. And uh, so right after the employment situation report came out, about an hour and a half later, they released the ISM, Institute for Supply Management Purchasing Manager Index. 
So it's a survey of manufacturers. Now, next week on Tuesday, after we get back from the holiday, we will actually be getting the services number. Manufacturing has been in a recession, and it looks like that's going to continue. But when we look at consumer spending, which a lot of that is on services, that was fairly healthy. Uh, it was actually, in my opinion, too healthy. So there might be some revisions. That's the interesting thing about the economic data from the government is it comes out with a lag and it's oftentimes subject to sometimes big revisions. We had it where consumer spending increased by about 0.8% month on month, but incomes didn't keep pace with that. And that's been this almost alligator jaws between income growth and consumer spending growth. And that can't persist. I mean, they do eventually have to correct towards each other. Now, would you say, is that revolve around some of the inflation? We've seen it start to tick down, but there's just a lot of things moving in these underlying impacts. There are. And we always, uh, on an investment side, try to figure out what is due to price and what is due to volume. And we really like the real numbers based on volume, not just price. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management. Brandon Lehman, Director of Annex Private Client. We got them for the rest of the show. That is our Week in Review, always available as a podcast and delivered Sundays in the Axiom Newsletter. Saturday, September 2nd, this is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Before we get to the guys, want to mention Tax Smart, and that's what we want for you. Get the Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Planning Strategy Review. We're going to look at your unique situation. We're going to assess your plan. We're going to provide insight on strategies you might want to employ. Details at AnnexWealth.com/taxsmart. In the studio, Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management. Brandon Lehman is Director of Annex Private Client. So, Brian, we talked a little earlier. We were talking about jobs, ISM, consumer spending. I want to take a step back, though, and look at kind of the global macro picture. The biggest question that we're getting in meetings right now as I sit with clients is, it's China. Like Mm -hmm. Before it was Russia, Ukraine, but now the real question is, what's going on in China? Yeah, that's a good question. It uh, is almost like it's uh, this giant opaque box. And part of the problem is, is they're not giving the same information as they used to. Uh, It really, I think, came to light a few weeks ago when they actually stopped publishing the youth unemployment rate. Uh, They didn't like the numbers. And so they decided we're just not going to publish it. Now, in fairness, there were actually some methodology reasons. So there was a good reason behind it, but it just looked a little fishy, right? When they stopped publishing, publishing data that looked bad. It's a question of why do they do that? And they've been going through a slowdown. And a lot of it is because coming out of COVID, they almost kept the COVID breaks on for too long. And with the recovery, it wasn't as great as what we had in the West. The manufacturing sector initially recovered very quickly, but consumer spending didn't rebound that much at all coming out of COVID. And now it's actually turning a little bit where the consumer spending, it's kind of plateaued where it's growing, but not at a great pace. In fact, consumer spending in the United States has been growing faster than in China, which is a little weird when you think about past trends when because they are a lower income country compared to the United States. Technically, on the global stage, they're middle income, but relative to us, it's lower. They tend to see faster consumption growth, and they're actually having slower growth than us in the U.S. And the manufacturing sector has been struggling. 
they um, have been trying to take this piecemeal approach to prop up growth. And it doesn't really seem to be working all that well. Uh, just lately, they have been really focusing their efforts on the housing market, trying to make it where people can qualify for loans at a lower rate and with a lower down payment. And we've seen this story before. Coming out of the global financial crisis, they propped up the housing market maybe a little bit too much. And so they're doing it at a very kind of snail's pace here. But there are risks that they're going to create new imbalances and not really get some sustainable growth out of this. I mean, so we we take that picture. We take kind of what we talked about earlier. And I'm going to give you two questions that come up in every meeting I have all the time. The first is, what are our thoughts on a potential recession? Yeah, I would say that um, I, we're not out of the woods yet. There are a number of indicators that I like to look at as far as what is the market telling us. Uh, one of those is about credit spreads. So high yield bonds relative to government bonds. Those are very, very narrow, which means that the market isn't really pricing in a high risk of a recession. Uh, and so our view on our investment committee is that some of the Fed's actions are beginning to show up with a slowdown in job growth, a slowdown in inflation, and eventually the Fed just historically is likely to be too late to recognize that they've gone too far. So we don't think we're out of the woods yet. I would say that if we do get a recession, it's likely to be mild and it could start in the fourth quarter of this year and maybe extend into the first quarter of 2024. See, and the next question that comes up is first recession, right? The next though is what is your viewpoints on the end of the year for the markets? And you kind of hit on it to, to be honest, you never know because we could have data, as you and I talked about next week, that changes our viewpoint. But yeah. the question right now, I think I got three times in the last three meetings was, what do we think is going to happen for the rest of the year? Yeah, the way that we're positioning things is to try to stay aligned with strategic allocations. You know, we really want to take that longer term view because most people are on a financial journey where that journey they expect to last for hopefully decades and not for months. And so looking out to how might we finish the year, we really don't know. Our expectation, though, is that we're going to continue to see some choppy trading. Likely the lows of October 2022 were the lows. So we do think that we could see some okay gains, but not awesome gains like we've seen so far. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist, Annex Wealth Management. Brandon Lehman, director of Annex Private Client. There's more to come. You know, many of our clients who are grandparents want to build plans that have ways to bless their grandchildren. But how? We're going to cover that after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? You know, at the core, Annex Wealth Management is about investment and retirement planning. And once a proper plan is in place, you've got a path forward. Then the fun stuff begins like the joy of being a grandparent. And to talk about it, Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP, and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management, but not a grandma yet. Not yet. <laughs> not no. yet. Got to get her through college first. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Grandparenting is just different. It's like being an aunt or an uncle. You can stir them up and then give them back. But this is deeper. You might want to bless them in certain ways through a well-crafted financial plan. And that's what we're going to talk about. Deanna, maybe the most natural place to start would be what people tend to do, which is take care of this little one with higher education. And that would be mm -hmm. what, a 529? Yeah, so 529 refers to the federal tax code. And these are college savings plans. They are state-specific. So each state has 
has their own different plan, but they basically run the same way. Congress created them as a way for families to save for their children's future education. They're flexible, they can be tax advantaged, and they're specifically set up for those educational savings used for any qualified educational expense like public or private school from elementary to college age and beyond. Even some special programs like Outward Bound can be partially covered. Now, expenses can include tuition, room and board for full-time students, books, and certain supplies and fees. And when they are pulled out and the funds are used for qualified expenses, there's no taxation on withdrawals. So it's kind of like a Roth. You put in already taxed dollars, and when it's used properly, you pull the dollars out income tax-free. You name and control the beneficiary, you control the distribution of the assets, and you can change beneficiaries. So if one grandchild gets a full ride to college and doesn't need all the money, you can actually transfer it to a different beneficiary. In your experience, have you seen where people put lump sums in? Do they contribute throughout the years? Yeah, certainly. Now, some grandparents want to start a fund for different purposes as well, like maybe a car or helping the child save for a home. So a 529 is not always an appropriate vehicle for everybody. Have you seen clients open up something as simple as a savings account in a grandchild's name, or, or maybe would it be an investment account? Yeah. Now, you can put money into an account and gift over time to a beneficiary, keeping within the annual gifting limits. Or you can start a fund as a custodian with the assets in their name directly. But there can be gift tax, income tax, or estate tax planning implications in this case. So you really need to work with your wealth manager on the best strategy. For 2023, the annual gift tax exclusion is $17,000 per donor per recipient. So a giver can gift to anyone, a relative, friend, or even a stranger if they wanted, up to $17,000 in assets a year free of federal gift taxes. You know, but you can also beyond that exclusion, pay medical bills and tuition directly without it being a part of that exclusion. But it needs to go in that case directly from you to the institution and not be written to the beneficiary. So you just got to be sure that you do it right. Dean Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. We're talking about what grandparents can do for grandchildren. How about including a grandchild in a will or an estate plan? Is that something you see? Sometimes, yes. However, remember that a child until age of majority can't inherit directly. They need a custodian, a parent, relative, financial representative to hold and manage the money for them. So that should be a consideration and naming a minor. You've got to work with an estate planning attorney on your goals and in the best way to achieve them in your estate plan. You know, it must be kind of fun when a clients come in and they want to do something for their grandchildren. Right. Maybe they're not exactly sure how or what. You guide them through that process. Well, of course. So we're here to help set up their financial plan, understand their goals primarily, and make sure that, you know, that they're mad over time. One thing that grandparents will need to avoid, at least in my opinion, is overspending. Mm-hmm. A, a good thing is great. Too much of a good thing is not. Sure, of course. So grandparents want to be the ones who spoil their loved ones, but you always need to remember to put the oxygen mask on yourself (laughs) first. Really, that means having that financial plan and watching the plan, retesting the plan in all economic conditions, building in your gifting goals, making sure that the plan supports them. And remember that a kid's and grandkid's career 
is also an asset. They have their life's worth of earning power. So depleting your own personal savings to the point of financial pain and pressure to have them, for example, graduate with no debt, especially right at the time of your retirement, that should be looked at really carefully. That can be a slippery slope. And while it is important to follow your values, be sure you don't become a charity yourself. When it gets down to it, many will suggest that grandparents spend on experiences over things. You take them to the Grand Canyon, you take them out fishing, you teach them how to sail, you do stuff like that. You know, I love this, Danny. We often will have people come in and say, you know, what good is it to me at least when I'm gone, you know, and they get this money? Let's enjoy it all together. So experiences follow the family. Those memories last long after we're gone, potentially, whereas toys don't necessarily (laughs) last, right? Having that family get together somewhere special where it's a family celebration, so important to many clients I service here at Annex. We actually build those dreams right into your financial plan. Love it. Dean Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's talk locations. We are in Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, right inside the Fister, Madison, Naples, Florida, Libertyville, Illinois, or as close as your computer at AnnexWealth.com. It is Saturday, September 2nd. Time for news, and to get caught up, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here we go. It's Ask Annex. Got a question? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button in the studio. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Danny. Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager. Hello to you. Hey, Danny. Here we go. First one. I'm 63 and would like to retire by 65. I'm currently 70% equities and I'm okay with risk for the upside. Should I take a pause and reconsider and reduce that number? Well, we talk about risk tolerance and risk capacity with clients all the time. Risk tolerance is how comfortable an individual is with that investment volatility, the market fluctuations. It's based on psychological factors. Can you sleep at night or do you constantly worry about your portfolio? And then there's that risk capacity, that objective assessment of how much risk an individual can financially withstand based on their current financial situations, their goals, obligations. So you obviously have the risk tolerance to say 70% in equities. Now you need to see if your financial plan has the risk capacity to take on that exposure, and that should determine your overall portfolio allocation. Certainly seems like you've got the risk tolerance to be able to do that. But again, you know, right now, as we're recording this, the market is rebounding quite a bit. So it's easy for people to to feel that they've got that risk tolerance for it. But how did you feel in early 2020? How did you feel in 2022? If that happened a year from now, how would you feel? The other thing I look at that too is maybe you're okay from that overall tolerance, but where is that risk being taken within the portfolios that you have? If you have multiple accounts, maybe you can move some of that around a little bit where you know from a distribution planning early in retirement, I need, I'm going to need to pull some cash out of some of these accounts. Maybe make those a little bit more conservative and something like a Roth IRA that you might not touch for a while, make that more aggressive. So you get the same overall mix of equities, but maybe it's just put into different places. Sarah, do you ever find that somebody says that their risk tolerance is one thing, but their capacity is does not match? <laughs> I don't yeah. find that very often because some people aren't aware of that capacity. They don't, that's a new term that we introduce. It's kind of interesting when we do bring that up and the light bulb goes off, goes, oh yeah. Uh, you know, because a lot of times some people think if they're 80 years old, they can't be aggressive or if they're 50, they can't be conservative. It's a mixture of both tolerance and capacity. Ask Annex. Next up, I read a lot about protecting my portfolio from market volatility, but isn't that part of normal market cycles? My time horizon is at least 10 years out. 
Yeah, it certainly is part of normal market cycles, but it's another thing to understand that looking backwards that it is to live through a lot of that. So that goes back again to to risk tolerance. What we always like to look at though too is, let's say the market does fall back, you actually need a higher rate of return than that fall back to get back to where you were. So if the market goes down 10, you need an 11% return in order to get back. If the market goes down 50 in those extreme environments, you actually need a 100% return to get back to that. So if that's something that you're not able to weather those storms throughout that thing, it does make sense to try to maybe mitigate some of that risk, especially in times periods where the market's strong. So for at all time highs, maybe it's a chance to pull a little bit of equities off the table, take some profits. And that way, when the market does pull back, you're in better position to kind of push back the other way. The other way to do that too is through what types of equities you have in your portfolio or what types of fixed income. So the market's choppy. You might not necessarily want to ride the entire market down through that. If you find companies that, let's say, are profitable, pay dividends, have high quality balance sheets, they tend to hold up better in times of market volatility. So it's about shifting the allocations there. Same thing within fixed income too. There are certain types of bonds that are going to do better when rates are going up or rates are going down. Certain types of bonds are going to do better in strong economic cycles versus weak ones. So it's about positioning the portfolio to be able to take advantage of when things are great and, and get all of that that you can, but also protect yourself on the downside when that goes down. Volatility is a normal part of the market cycles and investors should be prepared for that, especially when you have that long time horizon. But I also think that diversification and risk tolerance are super important for protecting that portfolio. Final question on Ask Annex. My son is out of college now and employed. He has several options in his work 401k, but is struck by analysis paralysis. I'm recommending at least a target date fund. Please confirm this is a good choice until he becomes a more experienced investor. Well, I'm right there with you. I have a new graduate as well who just got his first job, so I know what you're going through. But the target date fund, that's a very good option for that novice investor, someone who is too busy to manage their own portfolio or has no desire to do it. They're designed to be that all-in-one investment solution that automatically adjusts asset allocation over time. So as the older you get, the more conservative that portfolio becomes. They're also called like set it and forget it. But it's easy because you only have to pick a retirement date. You don't have to worry about picking any of the funds. So it's not a bad option for your son. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Really, when you're first getting started, the most important thing is how much you're saving, not necessarily what you're putting it into. If you're beating the market, getting market returns or trailing slightly, which is kind of what your range of outcomes are, especially with the target date fund, it's going to be somewhere around there. Really just important that you're getting money into it, not necessarily that you're trying to beat the market at that point in time. When we work with companies and we help manage their 401ks, target date options are something we put into every single plan out there. And that's an area that we do push people to if they just want to get it invested and then just let it go. We also create allocations from them too, both for the plans that we work with, but also clients that we work with here as well too. So our investment team can sit down, review the options that are available at that and come up with a, a plan for them based off of their risk tolerance. So we do get a little bit more active with that when we can see the options, know their risk tolerance, create that plan for them. But if you don't have access to that, if you're not working with someone who could do that for you, a target date fund is going to be perfect. Matt Morsey, investment team manager. Thanks. Thank you. Sarah Kyle, wealth manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You bet, Danny. We are big believers in financial education. The more you know, the better prepared you are. Got a financial wellness webinar planned in a couple of weeks. Going to go over the basics and share how you can join. Next, after a break, this is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. 
Right. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Tom Parks is here. He's Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hello, Danny. No doubt 401k plans represent a critical component of many Americans' nest eggs. In fact, to the tune of $6 trillion in retirement assets. That's the good news. That's right, Danny. Despite all of the negative headlines out there, there is some good news. I'm glad that we're starting there. Yeah, well, the bad news is too many people are falling short of retirement goals. And here we go into yeah. reality, Bill. But yeah, $6 trillion is a great number. We will be sharing some stats that might cast a little bit of a shadow on that, but uh, we'll keep it real. National 401k Day is coming up, and in celebration, Annex Wealth Management is going to offer an interactive financial wellness webinar. It's insight into how we can adjust our behaviors to get better. This is basic stuff, so maybe if you're well-versed in all of this, you want to recommend it to somebody, maybe your kids. This is operating in the no-judgment zone. It's open for anyone we're going to have the webinar information at the end of this segment. So, Tom, this financial wellness webinar, the basics of borrowing, that happens early in the presentation. Is that one of the early trouble spots? Yeah, I think people might wonder, you know, what borrowing has to do with saving for retirement. How does this tie into 401k day? But this is a critical issue to address because debt is a huge impediment to saving for retirement and just to building a, you know, a solid financial life. So when so much of your income is going to servicing that, it gets understandably hard to allocate those dollars to other things. So we got to address that issue. So we want stuff, but we borrow to get that stuff. And sometimes we get in a little deep. Sometimes we do, Danny. Yes, we do. All right. In this webinar, you use easy to follow examples. I like that. We talk about Max and Charlie. They're your special guests and how you use them to demonstrate saving and investing. Yeah. When it comes to personal finances, behaviors are are more influential than math. But arithmetic does play a role. So we're going to look at how some seemingly insignificant behavioral adjustments can really impact the, the math long term. So Max and Charlie are fictional characters, but they live different lives and operate differently. They have a lot of similar characteristics, but they do some a few things that are a little bit different and the results end up being noticeably different. Yeah, huge difference. With Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management, we're going to celebrate National 401k Day. We get an interactive financial wellness webinar. Please recommend this to some folks that really need this. We're going to cover investment accounts, both tax deferred and taxable. And that is important, isn't it? It is because I think we talk about this stuff all the time. We understand that when there are tax advantages, it's important. It's a benefit. But I think it's important to draw the distinction among tax preferred or tax benefited accounts and those that aren't because there can be some confusion there. So again, not necessarily specifically 401k related, but in the context of understanding all this stuff together, I want to touch on that to just make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah. Now we talk about financial wellness, but there's also financial stress and financial stress is a bad thing. It affects more than just one person. It can affect companies. Yeah. And, and families and all that stuff. And statistics show that a lot of Americans are experiencing financial stress. So we have to understand where people are coming from. And when we talk about saving and budgeting and all that stuff, there is a path to financial wellness from the position of financial stress. And we want to show people that there is that path. This is not a hopeless presentation. We're going to get real and we're going to be serious about stuff, but we want to show that there is hope for this to happen. It's not always going to be easy, but like you and your Go Ruck buddies know, nothing worthwhile ever is. So. Amen, brother, to that. Yeah. The stuff we're talking about is just the tip of the iceberg. We're talking about the 401k Day Financial Wellness Webinar. It is free and it's coming up. Let's talk about when. Danny, it's taking place Friday, September 8th at 11.30 a.m. and it will take less than an hour. And in order to sign up, you can go to AnnexWealth.com slash events so that you can get registered with the link and be able to participate in the event. You've done a number of these. The feedback we get, it's 
interactive. It's fun. It's loose. You're not preaching. Uh, you're instructing. That is correct. Like you said at the beginning, it is a no-judgment zone, but it is also a no-nonsense zone. So we're going to have some fun and hopefully get some stuff done. (laughs) That's right. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we are going to be back. More to come on 620 WTM. Back in Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. A couple of things. This show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour, wherever you get your regular podcasts, and that's like Apple Music or Spotify, but wherever you get it. Also, I want to remind you that we want you to get Tax Smart. The Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Planning Strategies Review is pretty darn cool. We're going to review your unique situation, we're going to assess your plan, and we're going to provide insight on strategies you might want to employ. All the details on that, Annex Wealth wealth.com slash tax smart in the studio dr brian jacobson chief economist brandon lehman director of annex private client so brian we talked a little earlier about markets a lot of the things going on there but let's take a pivot here and you and i do a lot of work on the annex private client side and a lot of that work revolves around taxes danny alluded to it the tax smart investing but things that you and i are taking a look at tend to be a little bit larger scale a little bit more complex the first and Really, that jumps to my mind is tax smart investing, though. Mm-hmm. How you do that, what are you looking at, and really just making sure, even though you're trying to be smart, you don't let the tax tail wag the dog. And you and I shared some thoughts on this you know, earlier in a discussion, but when you think of that, what comes to mind when you say, don't let the tax tail wag the dog, but we got to be smart? Yeah, absolutely. And the way that I think about it is trying to think about investment opportunities from an after-tax return perspective. Um, A lot of times when people look at historical data, they will just say, oh, you know, the S&P 500 returned a certain amount, right? It's like, well, it would have, if you could have invested in it, in a cost-free way, because there's all sorts of frictions as far as transaction costs. But in what kind of account would that have been in? Because you do have to consider the tax implications. And I think that's one of the really exciting parts of financial planning and wealth strategizing in general is trying to integrate the asset allocation with the asset location, looking at it through that after-tax lens. And uh, I, I think a really good example of that right now would be thinking about where to put, say, cash to work. We know that money market yields are higher than what they've been in many, many years. But there are many different types of money market accounts, right? You can have some that invest invest in municipal bonds, you can have some that invest in treasuries, or those that invest also in some commercial paper, which are issued by corporations. And each one is taxed slightly differently. And so I think that's one of the exciting things is to look at the yield opportunities for investors right now, but then to have that conversation about what is your tax situation? Which account is this likely going to be in? And then we can make a better decision about how to do the allocation based on the asset location. I think that's so important. When we start to look at these situations, folks just get wrapped up in, I got X for a return. But it's sure you did, 
but when we look at it, maybe from we're doing distribution planning now, mm -hmm. right? You've done the accumulation phase. Now we need to turn around and take it out. First, we have to have a strategy around distribution. Where is it coming from? How is it coming? What buckets? How is it set up? How do we efficiently distribute? But the big part of that from that efficiency standpoint is exactly what you alluded to, the tax. Because maybe you got X in an IRA, but don't forget, the feds want a piece of that too. The IRS is going to say, you owe us. So as you look at those IRA dollars, how much do we distribute? And maybe you have a targeted income you need to hit for any number of reasons. Well, what is the best strategy? Where do you pull from? How much do you pull? What type of account? And there is a generation that, you know, did a great job accumulating and we give them a lot of credit for that. But unfortunately, they weren't given a lot of options, right? It was basically mm -hmm. a 401k. And now with the advent of the Roth IRA kind of coming to, I'd say it, it's true character. It's taken many years what became mainstream inside 401k. So that generation didn't have that opportunity. So now we're really only dealing with tax later money for the most part, tax later, and then tax now, which is those brokerage accounts. You have those two buckets. So that's where the tax planning, the distribution, the opportunities can arise, but also that location of those investments are incredibly important because that's going to impact that 1040. And that's, if we look at it on the private client side, one of the first things we're looking for or looking at really is a tax return mm -hmm. because we're going to look at the K-1s, we're going to look at the 1040 itself, the W-2s, the 1099s, what kind of income is probably flowing in through a business, whether an S-corp or a C-corp put all that together and then say, this is the impact it's going to have here. We need to think about it this way. And what's so important is everybody is different. So the amount of times that people come in and say, well, my friend does X or my friend did Y, it's like, you're not your friend. Your situation is grossly different because you're a different person. So on the private client side, there's so much minutiae to go through, but such a strong result in my opinion in the end because the team is so large it's not just me and you but there's mm -hmm. an entire wealth strategist team behind this with annex private client to look at taxes estate overall distribution planning all those little things that you can look at and say annex has got the team to help me when i have those larger dollars and when we talk you know large private client private wealth situations where we need a large team to come in and it's such a blessing to be a part of annex and have that mm -hmm. you know, and oh. witness that here yeah it, it is really exciting to think about how it is that we can help people make those better decisions to preserve the wealth for oftentimes generations to come. I mean, their objective isn't just to make it through the next year or the next few years. It's also looking out for how is it that they can make an impact to different charities and then to also future generations. Dr. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us thank today. Thank you. And Brandon Lehman, director of Annex Private Client. Thank you. Danny. Folks, we believe investment and retirement planning is for everybody. And it goes all the way from Annex Ignite, where folks can start all the way to what Brandon does with Annex Private Client. If you treat September like a symbolic change of season, maybe a symbolic change of investment strategy, we're ready to guide you. Get started button, that's what you click at AnnexWealth.com. We'll be back here next Saturday at 10. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.